Have you ever, have you ever had a bill that you couldn't pay? <clears throat> Probably most of us say, well, I don't know. Something came in the mail and you go, wait a minute, that's, that's a lot more than I thought it was going to be. Something comes up, the car breaks down, something happens. I went to Dallas Seminary. I had no money when I got there. I had no money when I left there, but I made it all the way through. But while I, the first, when I got there, uh, I spent every bit of the money I had to get in the first semester. And I mean, literally every bit of the money that I had and to pay for my the, the, the apartment that I had and the electric thing and all that stuff. And so I, I went to my mailbox. And I had, everybody had a mailbox. I'd never gotten any mail. I'd been there about two weeks. And, I, and school hadn't started yet. And I looked in my mailbox, and there was a letter. I went, hot dog, a letter. Well, I opened it up. It was a letter from State Farm. And State Farm said, because you moved from Mississippi to Texas, you now owe an additional $92. And I remember thinking to myself, $92? How am I going to get $92? I mean, I spent literally every, every penny to my name. I had... I mean, I would wake up every morning. I had 83 cents for breakfast. I stopped at this McDonald's. I got a biscuit and, and coffee. It was 83 cents. I knew exactly how much I had to have for lunch. I knew exactly. I mean, so when you said $92, I said $92. And I thought, well, I don't know what to do, Lord, but I'm here. So anyway, I go back, and about two days later, there's another mail. There's another envelope in there. And I go, oh, I hope it's not State Farm. And I, opened, I pulled it out, and it was from my home church. And I opened it up, and it said... JB, somebody thought you might need this. It was a check for how much? $92. Not 90, not 100, not, it could have been 100. It would have gave me eight extra. But anyway, it was 90. It was exactly $92. Has that ever happened to you? Have, have you ever said, Lord, I, need, I don't know what to do, Lord, and then he takes care of it? Well, we're going to see that in the life of Elisha today, the prophet of God. He's done so much already. He's been mentored by Elijah. He's the prophet of God. You know what he's done? He, remember, he healed the water. He cursed those boys. He brought water out of nowhere and made it look like blood. He had the victory for Israel over, over the Moabites. Well, this morning, two more events. We'll see one completely and then just see half of the other one. And we're going to see the widow needs money and the family needs a son. That's what it really boils down to. So let's start with the widow and the oil, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And as we go through this, it's the same issue. God meets our needs. And let me just say one thing about it. Um, God not only did that for me that day, but he has continually done that for me all of my life as, as a believer. Every need, I mean, there are things where one... Uh, one time, I needed, I had to do an MRI thing, and I had, the bill was $969. I didn't have $969. And without knowing it, somebody brought to our house an envelope with $1,000 in it. And we still, to this day, never know who gave us that money. He does it all the time. God does it all the time. So here's this. We're going to see the widow and the oil. God meets needs. Look at verse, chapter 4, verse 1 of Second Kings. Now, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elisha. She comes to Elisha. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant fear the Lord, and the creditor has come to take away my two children to be his slaves. Now, she comes and she says, here's, here's the problem. She was the wife of one of the prophets. Remember, there's the sons of the prophets. Remember, there's like the, sort of like a seminary school, and Elisha and Elijah both were training people. She comes and says, this was a woman who was a wife of the sons of the prophets. So she, she had been married to one of those men who were one of the sons of the prophets. She said, your servant, my husband's dead. He's died. 
And you know that he feared you. He feared the Lord and he, and, and he served the Lord and he feared the Lord. And, and the creditor has come to take away my two children. Now, she said this. She said, my husband is dead. He served you. He feared the Lord. He was fantastic. He was a faithful man who served God and Elisha. So you knew who he is. And so he, Elisha would say, well, I didn't even know he died. Well, yeah, he died. And, and I have these bills that I can't pay. And the creditor has come. And see, and back in those days, instead of just, you know, saying, well, if you're not going to pay, I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to file bankruptcy or something. No, they took your children. They took your children. They became slaves. They, were, they just became your, your possession. Sometimes you lost everything. They just threw you out on the street. Sometimes they put you in debtor's prison. But at this time, she says, they're coming, and they're going to take... She had two sons, at least two sons. And she says, they're going to come get my sons. And I don't know what to do because I don't have the money. I don't have any way to pay whatever it is. And we don't even know how much it was. All she said is, the creditor has come to take away my two children to be his slaves. So what's she done? Well, in a sense, she's coming to God because she says, the one person I know that speaks for God is who? Elisha. You know, she knew Elijah. Probably she, maybe she knows Elisha. Her husband actually served under Elisha. So she goes to him and says, my husband is dead, and you know he served you. He feared the Lord, but they're, gonna, they're coming, they're coming to, to get it. They're coming to get my kids. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. He said, what can I do for you? What can I do? What do you have? What do you have there? And she said, well, about the, about, about the only thing I have is this little jar of oil. I mean, it's like, I mean, even if I sold that, that would be no money. I mean, I'm, that's not going to pay the bill. I've got a little jar of oil. That's all I've got. So what is he going to tell her to do? So watch. Then he said to her, go borrow vessels at large. For, for yourself, from all your neighbors, neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. He said, go get a bunch of vessels. In other words, go around to all your neighbors and say, I need a big, I need a big jar. I need a big pot. I need, and get them all and bring them to your house. Go, go to the next door neighbor. He says, you got any, I, I need a jar. I need a big jar. You got any empty jars? I got a couple here. Thank you. And you go back to your house. And she sent her sons probably as well. Go get these jars. Go get these jars. So all the neighbors around, she went and borrowed the vessels. Notice he says again in verse three, go borrow vessels at large for yourselves, all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Make sure they're empty. Now, don't, they, we don't need anything in them. And do not get a few. He's basically saying, get a lot. Get a lot of them. So that's the plan. That's the plan. And then he says this, and you shall go in to your house, shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour out into all these vessels that you shall set aside what is full. Now, he says, what you're going to do is you're going to put all the vessels in your house. You're going to shut the door. You're going to take your thing of oil that you have, your one little one, and you're going to start pouring it into these jars. And you're going to keep pouring it into these jars. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they were bringing the vessels to her as she poured. So she and her sons are in, shut the door. She said, bring one of the vessels. And so the boys bring one over big one, and she starts pouring out of her little jar, but guess what it does? It fills completely up. It fills completely up, and, and says, so she went behind, shut the door behind her, and the sons, they were bringing the vessel to her, and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her sons, bring another vessel, and he said to her, that this, uh, there is not one vessel more. In other words, they got them all. She finally, they, like, here's this house full of these vessels of oil. And she says, bring the rest of them. She said, their sons, that was the last of them. That's all the ones we borrowed. So she has now, how much oil does she have now? 
a bunch of oil, right? Because he just told her to go get as many vessels as she get, get big vessels, and then she poured, and it just kept going. Does that remind you of anything? Do you remember when Elijah found the widow at Zarephath? And she said, I've just got just a little bit of flour left, and that's all. He said, fix me something, and then something for you and your child. And for that whole time, it never ran out. Now, he says, pour this into these jars, and they, each one just keeps filling up and keep filling up, keep filling up. And, so, and then what? When, when she gets to the last jar, what happens? And the oil stopped. You can see her going, I guess we're out. And then she looks, and she's got this whole house full of these jars of oil. Then she came and told the man of God. She said, here's what I did. I got all the jars like you told me, and I filled them up, and now I have all these jars of oil. And he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Not only was it enough to pay the debt, it was enough for her and her sons to live. Now, let me ask you something. Is, um, uh, she had a part in this, by the way. She didn't, he didn't just say, go find some jars and set them out somewhere and then come back in a couple of hours. He said, no, you get the jars and you pour. You pour. She had a part in it. Sometimes when God does something for us, he wants us to be faithful too. He wants us to serve him. You say, oh, Lord, I want, I want to teach. Okay, you better study. You better study. You know, oh, Lord, I want to do this. Okay, well, then you better be ready to do it. And she said, I need, I need something. He said, you're going to get a bunch of oil, but you know what you're going to do? You're going to have to go get them, get them in there, pour it out there. You're going to have to do it. And she did it. And so she told Elisha, she says, that the vessels are full of oil. And so he says, go sell the oil, pay your debts, and your sons get to stay with you. Now, that's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's one of his 15 miracles. And it's kind of quiet. Who do you think knew about this? Probably the neighbors around because she went and got the jars. And then they probably asked her, how'd you get all the oil? She said, you know, I don't believe this. And, and, and then they sold it all. And then they had money left over. They had money left over. God meets needs. It's true. But what do we need to be? Faithful. Faithful. I mean, there are times I'm not faithful and he does stuff for me. There's times I've been faithful and he does stuff for me. I feel like probably the better thing to do is be faithful and let him do whatever he chooses to do. Okay, that's, that's another miracle. Elisha's life. Kind of a quiet one, isn't it? Who knew about it? I mean, it wasn't like calling fire down from heaven, was it? It wasn't like outrunning a chariot for 40 miles. It wasn't any of those kind of things like Elijah did. But he did this, and he took care of that family. Now, this next passage is it's strange. It's strange. And we're going to see it. It's going to take us this Sunday and next Sunday to see the passage and what happens. So now we're going to meet what I call the family and the son. And we start at verse 8. Let's see what happens. Now, there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunan, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often he passed by, he turned there and there to eat food. So think about it. He's, he's traveling. He was, you know, Elisha traveled around. And as he'd go by this woman's house, and she was a prominent woman, she was wealthy. And she has a husband, too. I mean, they're, they're wealthy people. And she sees him coming by, and she says, he might know who that is. And he said, that's, that's Elisha. He's the prophet of God. And she went, really? And so she saw him come by one day, and she said, hey, uh, I have food. Would you like to eat with us? And he went, well, sure. And then a lot of times he'd come by and she'd say, hey, we got food. You want to come on in? 
And so it says basically that so it was as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. So this is great. He, this lady is, is really uh, helping him. And I want to, and so this is, um, she's a Shunammite woman from a place of Shunammite. Look at this. Here's the map. And there's the little town that they live in, Shunan. We're not sure. We know that we know that Elisha stays at Mount Carmel. Some we know that he travels around in this region. So he often traveled by this woman's house, and so it got where he'd just stop and eat almost every time he traveled by. Okay, she'd say, "When you're in, when you're in the neighborhood, just stop by, and we'll get you know I'll, I'll have food for you." And so he did. Then after a while, she says, "You know," she said to her husband. Behold, now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. He comes by all the time, yeah? Let's do this. Please, let's make a little walled upper chamber, and let us set a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand, and it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. Let's fix him a place to rest. I mean, he is a prophet of God, and he's big time. I mean, he's the prophet of God. Why don't we fix, go up and fix, uh, probably, probably on top of their roof, to fix a room on top of their roof so that he could go up the steps, get there, and it would be walled in and have a lamp for him and a bed and a table and, and a chair. And, and it would be like a, a, like a place that he could just rest because he travels all the time. What if we fixed him a room? What if we fixed him a room? Let's fix it so that, that, uh, that he can stay with us. So one day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. So she told him, hey, not only do I want you to eat here, we, we, we fixed your room. And anytime you're traveling by and you get tired or anything like that, you can come stay with us. And there's the room and we got a bed and everything and got a lamp and everything and a chair and a table. And you could just do whatever you want to, you know, and you can stay with us. Verse 11, so one day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. So he did. So he did. Now he's got, he's got a servant. If you notice in the next verse, it says, Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. Now before we get this further, let, let's talk about this guy, Gehazi. Uh, you don't know this now, but he's not as good as he appears. Let's just say that. Gehazi is a servant of Elisha, and Elisha trusts him. And we're going to see what happens. It's going to be a couple more chapters on down the road. But Gehazi is actually a spokesman for Elisha. A lot of times Elisha will say, tell her this. And she, he goes and tells her, you'd think, why don't, why don't you tell her, Elisha? And he goes, ah, I'm a prophet. You know, let, her, let him talk. Anyway, so who knows what happens. So one day he said, then he said, then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, now he says to Gehazi, say now to her, behold, you've been careful for us with this and all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for, for the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people. So he says, uh, if you notice there, Gehazi's going to do, you know, what can I do for you? And Gehazi is doing the one doing the talking. He says, ask her what we can do for her. You know, and you want to say, why don't you just talk to her? I, I don't know. I mean, he's the prophet. So, I mean, uh, he's the prophet of God. He can do whatever. Let me just say, he can do whatever he wants to do. So he tells Gehazi, and he says, what would you like for us to do? Do we need to talk to the king for you? Uh, do we need to talk to a, to a soldier for you? And she said, no, no, no. I, I live among my own people. I live among my own people. So he says, how can I help you? And uh, all of a sudden, notice, 
So he said, what then is to be done for her? What, what can I do for this woman? And Gehazi, watch what he says, answered, truly, she has no son and her husband's old. <laughs> now, what did that mean? Well, when he dies, who's going to take care of her? Who's going to take care of the fields? Who's going to do all the, the, the hard work and labor? I mean, her husband is the main guy. She doesn't have a son to inherit anything. She doesn't have a son to take care of anything. And her husband is old. And if she, he dies, she's a widow. And a widow indeed, because she has no family to take care of her. So Gehazi comes up and says, she has no son and her husband is, he's old. Okay, so here's what we do. Then he said, he said, call her. And when, she, when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, now he looks like he's talking to her straight on this time. And he said, at this season next year, you will embrace a son. He said, next year at this time, you'll be holding your baby boy. Look what she says. Oh, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Don't lie to me. Oh, the, you, this is that. It can't, be, it can't be true. Next year you'll have a son, and she says, Oh, man of God, are you fooling me? That's too good to be true. Isn't that too good to be true? It's too good to be true. You, you, you can't really. I mean, really? Verse 17, So the woman conceived and bore a son at the next season, the next year, as Elisha had said to her. Let me say this. Is that a miracle too? I mean, you know, her husband's old, and she's not had any kids, and suddenly out of the blue, she has a child. That's not the miracle we're going to see. We're going to see something else. Now, let me ask you something. If you were this woman and her husband, now you say, what a life I have. I have a, a good husband. We're wealthy. We have everything. I have a boy. The prophet of God stays in my house. What could be better than this? I mean, I'm pretty much, it's downhill pretty much for me, right? I mean, I'm going, it's going great. Watch what happens. When the, verse 18, when the child was grown that day, when the child was grown, that day came that he went out to his father, to the reaper. So he goes out to help his father, and it says he was grown. And by the way, the, the word grown, time has passed. It, it, it could be, he could be about, and let me just tell you, by, the, by looking at the passage, I think he's, he's not like a grown man who's 21 or 22 years old. He's probably around 12 to 13 or 14, okay? He may have already got to the point where they would say, okay, that, you know, bar mitzvah, you're a, you're a son of the covenant. You're, you're, you're old enough to know what to do, but he'd be 12 years old, you know. But look what happened. So he goes out to help his father. And he said to his father, my head, my head. All of a sudden, he's got this terrible headache. And he said, I got this headache. And they said to him, to carry him to his mother. Carry him in. He was out in the field, and he said, oh, my head is really hurting bad. In fact, it's hurting really, really, really bad. I can't hardly stand up. They said, well, get him inside. Get him inside to his mother. And look what happened. Uh, and when they had taken him in and brought him to his mother, she said him, he sat on her lap. Now, he's not, he's not a big old man. He's probably a 10 or 12-year-old boy, and she gets him on her lap. And he says, Mama, my head is killing me. It's killing me. And he died. Things aren't that great now, are they? She waited all her life for this son, and now he died. And she could almost say, thanks a lot, Elisha. If, if you'd have never given it to me, I wouldn't have gone through this suffering of watching him die. And then, 
could she go upstairs and get Elisha? He's not there. You know where he is? He's in Carmel. He's at Mount Carmel, which is about 30 miles away. So what are you going to do? So what are you going to do? Look at verse 21. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. She took him upstairs, put him on Elisha's bed. where Elisha, when Elisha comes and spends the night or does anything, she put him there. That's what she did. She took him upstairs to the room of Elisha and put him in the bed. You know, maybe she thought, maybe something will rub off in here or help. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. But you know what I'm going to do? What would you do if you were her? What would you do? I would. I would say, okay, he's the one that gave me the baby. He's the one that gave me this boy. I'm going to go find him and tell him what happened. Now, there's something strange here, okay? There's something strange. Watch the next verse. Then she called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. You would think she would go to him and say, Honey, he died. Our son died. I need to get to Elisha as quickly as possible. She didn't say that. She just sends word to him and says, I need a donkey. I, gotta get to, I need to get to the man of God as fast as possible. You know how we know that she didn't tell him? Look at the next verse. He says, well, why would you go to him today? It's neither a new moon or a Sabbath. She said, why would, you take, why would you go to the man of God? It's not a new moon. It's not the start of a month. At the start of a month, we have a two-day festival, sometimes one day, sometimes two days. And then it's not the Sabbath. You know, and first of all, if it was the Sabbath, could you, could you travel? And so he says to her, why do you need to leave? Do you think she should have told him? In my mind, I think I probably would have told him and said, Honey, uh, he's up in the bedroom up there, but he's dead. And I mean, he's not breathing, and I don't know what to do. So I'm getting on a donkey, and I'm heading out. But she didn't do that. She just says, I'm getting on a donkey and heading out. He says, Why are you going? She didn't tell him. She said, It's going to be well. It will be well. It's going to be okay. Now, do you think she knows something we don't know? Do you think she thinks Elisha can raise her son from the dead? I think she does, or else she at least says, I'm taking the chance that he can. I mean, he's the only one I know that can help. She's, it's like she's turning to God. She's saying, who, who, who do I know that represents God? It's Elisha. So I'm going to go fast as I can. Watch what says. She sat on a donkey, and she said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. She said, don't slow down until I tell you to slow down. Go as fast as you can go. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. And so she says, go fast as you go. Don't slow down. Don't stop for anything. We've got to get to him. Now, let me show you this. This is, this is where she lives, and this is Mount Carmel. It, it could be as much as 40 miles, maybe 30 miles. could even be as little as 25 miles, but that's still a long time. And let me ask you something. How long does it take when he died to take him up, put him on the bed, go back down, get the donkey, get it saddled, get it off, and head out and go 25 to 30 miles and go to Mount Carmel to find him? Let's just say, let's just pretend it only takes two hours to get there. So they still got to come back. That's got to be what? at least four hours, and it probably took 15, 20, 30 minutes to... So he's probably been dead five hours. What's the chances of him coming back? Like, I, I, I really didn't die. I just stopped breathing for a real short time. No, no, you don't stop breathing for five hours. You know what I'm saying? So 
What's going to happen? So she's making the trip. Watch what happens. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, there's the Shunammite. He says, Wait a minute, that's that woman. That's the woman that we, the son. Elisha knew something must be wrong for her to come to him. He knew something had to be wrong. So what does he do? He sends Gehazi. He says, go, go run to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she says, what? It is well. You know why? You know why she said that to him? What do you think? She's talking to Gehazi. Gehazi says, is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? Is it well with you? And she says, it is well. Why did she say that? What do you think? You know what? She doesn't want to talk to Gehazi. She wants to talk to Elisha. She's saying, excuse me, everything's fine. Let me get to the man. Let me get to the man. I don't really have time to stand here and talk to you. Yeah, everything's fine. Let me get to the man. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught hold of his feet. She fell down, grabbed his feet. Look what Gehazi did. Gehazi came near to push her away, but the man of God said, no, 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 leave her alone, for her soul is troubled within her. And watch the next verse, next line. And the Lord has hidden it from me and not told me. You understand that Elisha doesn't know what's happened. And sometimes God doesn't give the information. And see, sometimes in our lives, we, we don't know what, why things are happening and what's going on. You would think Elisha, who's the prophet of God, who knows everything, who gets direct revelation from God, you could think that maybe God had given him the information that the child had died. But he said, no. He said, I don't even know what's happened. Leave her alone for the Lord. God he wants to push her away. And Elisha says, God has not told me what's wrong. The truth is, sometimes we don't know what's going on. And sometimes we don't know why things are happening. And then things happen in our lives, and we go, this doesn't even make sense. Why did this have to happen? If you're that woman, you know what you say? Why would God give me a son and then him die like that? You know, I didn't even ask for him. They asked me what you need, and I didn't even say anything. And Gehazi said she needs a son, so give her a son. And now he's dead. And sometimes we say, I don't know what's happening. And, and Elisha could say, I don't know why, but God hadn't told me anything. He hadn't told me anything what's going on. And look what happened. It, it, she, she grabs him, you know, and he pushes her away. And, so, and the truth is, sometimes we don't know. And listen, the woman said, why did God give her a son and allow him to die? And Elisha says, why did God not tell me what's going on? And sometimes we say, how come I don't know what's happening? <laughs> why? Sometimes we just have to go forward, living for the Lord, even when we do not know all that's going on. Sometimes we just don't know what's happening. We don't know why it happens. We don't know why that test might come in our life, so to speak, or why things don't work out the way we think they should work out. Verse 28, then she said, Did I not, did I ask for a son from my Lord? The answer is, no, I didn't. Did I not say, do not deceive me, don't do this? And apparently, apparently, she then told him, because it doesn't tell us, but apparently she said the son's died because of what happens next. And here's the point I put, brought again. How long now has he been dead? Let's just say this. Let's just say six hours. In that day and time, six hours is a long time, right? I mean, it's not like they're in a hospital and a breathing machine and everything else trying to keep them going. He's dead and he's up in this upper room it may even be hot weather, you know. 
We don't know what's happening. And all she can say is he died. So I just want you to see verse, the next verse just for a second. He then said to Gehazi, gird up your loins. That means pull up this part so you can run fast. Take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him. Do not stop. If anybody salutes you, don't even answer them. And here's what I want you to do. When you get there, lay my staff on the lad's face. Now, Gehazi obviously was younger than Elisha. And he said, you can get there a lot quicker. Get there as fast as you can. Take my staff and put it on the front of his face while he's laying there. She taught he said, he's in, he's in your bed. And so he said, okay, Gehazi, go as fast as you can. Don't even, don't, don't even talk to anybody. If they say, hey, how you doing? Don't even, just keep going and get there as quick as you can and put that staff on the face. And we're going to see that the, lo- the lady says, I'm, you, you go and I, I'm going to stay here with Elisha, because she knows that Elisha's coming. He just can't get there fast enough. Well, that's where we're going to stop. And we're going to see what happens to this boy and what God does. So, next time, the conclusion. Let's realize, as we think about this passage, that God provides. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He gave the wood of the oil. He gave the family the son. Now, you could say, well, he gave the family the son, but the son died. We're not through yet. We're not through. Uh, it's going to have a good ending, okay? Let's just, you know, just in case you're all upset. But anyway, let's think about it. Uh, let's trust God even when we don't understand everything. Listen, we don't understand a lot of things. I mean, is this not right in our lives that things happen in our lives and we don't even know why it's happening? We just say, Lord, I just have to trust you. I don't understand this. I don't know why this is happening. Both the widow and the woman went to God with their problems. The widow came to Elisha. That's going to God because she says, you're a prophet of God. I don't know what I'm going to do. And now this woman's son has died. The only person she can think of that could help her is going to be Elisha. We may not know why some things happen. We got to trust God because we, you know, you may never know. Have you thought about that? You may never know why some things happened in your life until maybe we get to be with Jesus and he says, this is why I don't. This is why I let that happen and do that. And you'd go, oh, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it now. We didn't get it then, right? We say, well, thanks a lot. I wasn't that happy about it down there. He said, I know. I know you weren't. But then sometimes things happen, and we look back, and we see and say, I'm so glad God brought me through that.